You are listening to a special bonus edition of You Can't Laugh at That, breaking down Dave Chappelle's Saturday Night Live monologue from November 7th, 2020. And we're featuring John Armstrong. There is a second part of this episode available exclusively to our patrons. So visit patreon.com forward slash you can't laugh pod. It is $5 a month. That is it. Not only do you get access to this second part of this episode, but you will receive exclusive content that has never been aired publicly from all of our other episodes. And each week you'll receive a link to an exclusive video of this exclusive content. So visit us at patreon.com forward slash you can't laugh pod, become a patron, and gain access to all this extra content. But for now, enjoy this bonus episode of You Can't Laugh at That. Welcome to a special bonus episode of You Can't Laugh at That, the podcast where we take topics that you can't laugh at and find out ways to laugh at them and the never-ending quest to prove that anything can be funny. Joining us, we've got uh, we've got an all-star panel today. We've got Jeremy Demery coming live somewhere between Native America and the Middle East. <laughs> hey, it's still better than being in the white purgatory you're in. <laughs> yeah, dude, I'm in this white room wearing a white shirt as uh, like I'm what yeah, it's between Trump and Biden. coming to us back in space again uh steve mers how are Mm -hmm. the celebrations looking from up there i'm not in space david i'm in my living room wait you live in david they can't see either way just say i'm on a space i'm on you see in the (laughs) in the promos that i post it's it's a fisheye lens all right. I'm uh, in a roadster. Steve is in a road. Is that? All right. Anyway, uh, John Armstrong <laughs> is also joining us. Our first ever two-time guest. Because today's topic is Dave Chappelle's SNL monologue. And uh, I feel like it would be weird with two white guys in a, in a native Arab uh, talking about a bit that had <laughs> largely... Black undertones we and included, overtones. We were included in Biden's speech. That's why I'm here. <laughs> I am the liaison to all the to navigate all the nigger bombs through the set. <laughs> Let's pitch it to John. Yep. How do you feel about that one? <laughs> yeah, you have a quota. You have a quota that you have to meet. Um, <laughs> no, you're the first person I thought of when I was watching that and thinking because. When I was watching the, the monologue live, I was like, oh, this is really well thought out. It's, it's well structured, as we were talking about before. And, uh, and you were the first person I thought of, just because I feel like you would have like, a really good perspective on it. And, and also, so. yeah, and, and, your, and your episode is also one of the most listened to. So I'm playing analytics, too. It's like, it's like a little bit of sports, a little bit of comedy, a little bit of racial diversity. Slave <laughs> to the algorithm. We are all slaves to the algorithm. Right, man. You know, when there's a left-handed pitcher up, you need a, a right-handed batter. When we had you on the first time, I was like the saxophone player. <laughs> 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 all right. 
So let's let's just dive into this because it's this is super timely and this I mean I think this is a monologue that people can look back at for years as uh, something that is just a comedy writing masterclass. I mean, most of the work Dave Chappelle does is like that. Obviously, you know, he's one of the, the greatest of all time. Um, but let's kind of break down the bit clip by clip. Um, so we'll break it down into chunks and talk about what's funny, why it's funny, uh, why some things worked, why some things didn't, and uh, go from there. Pretty incredible day. You know, you know what I was thinking about all day today? This is really weird. First of all, I'm nervous, I should tell you that. You can't tell, but all inside. <laughs> uh, I was thinking about a person I'd never actually met, but I heard about all my life. I was, I was thinking about my great-grandfather, who apparently, by all accounts, was a very great man. He, he was born a slave in South Carolina, uh, was a slave for 10 years of his life, and when the Northerners came down, they started educating some of the, the newly freed black children, and, and he learned how to read. Got enamored with education and dedicated his life to three things. Education, freedom of black people, Jesus Christ became a juggernaut in the AME church. It's a pretty amazing story my great-grandfather had. And I thought about him all day today because I wish I could see him now, and I wish he could see me, because I wonder what he would say. This week, I flew to New York on a private jet to host Saturday Night Live. Netflix started streaming a show that bears his name, Chappelle's show, and HBO Max is streaming it, and I didn't get paid for any of it. <laughs> yeah, if he could see me now, he'd probably be like, this nigga got bought and sold more than I had. Let's talk about the appearance first and foremost. Chappelle in a suit and tie. What 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 do you think that conveys? Like, what do you think the purpose? If there was a purpose behind it, um, do you think there's anything behind that? I'm thinking like just just the the mood of everything. You know what I mean? As far as uh, this might be jumping the gun, but I mean we've all seen it. But like when at the end when he addresses that, you know, as happy as we are, there's half of the country that feels like we did when this first happened four years ago. So I think it, it was, I, I think it's maybe more of a, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm back, this is kind of a bookend to the other one, but it's not like, it ain't super casual, but I'm not uh, dancing in the street either. I'm just kind of, you know, this occasion calls for me to be dressed up, but not, you know, I, he's not bells and whistles and then he's not doing jumpsuit either, you know what I mean? So it just feels like more of a, I don't know, prof, I don't want, I don't want to say professional. What, what word? Uh, I don't know. I think he definitely dressed for the moment, for the, mm. for the height of the moment. I knew he, he, when he came out, my, when I first watched it, when he came out wearing a suit, I knew he was going, he was going to top his last time he was here. Mm. He was going to say things that are a little bit more controversial than the last time he was there when uh, Trump got elected. I, th I think it plays into the, the whole, the entirety of the day, too. It just felt like 
and exhale just yeah. all day. And even though he was wearing a suit, like it wasn't like a, it wasn't super tight. Like the, I mean, the jacket was pretty loose. He has sneakers on still, you know, I, I mean, and he was smoking a cigarette. So right. with it being open with the vest being open and the smoking a cigarette is very kind of mad men kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? I think it's not so much the fact that he wore a suit. It's the, well, it's like there's nothing else would have felt right. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I'm saying. Like, there. if he had that jumpsuit, like, before, I don't think that that would have, that's just too yeah, casual, you know what I mean? Right. And yeah. SNL, I mean, the hosts typically tend to dress pretty nice anyway. The cigarette, though, it was almost like a cigarette after sex. <laughs> like, that's, that's the first thing that came to my mind was just, like, that kind of, that stress yeah. relief that, like, I've needed a cigarette after these four years, kind of. It's become like a prop, like uh, like Dice. Remember when Dice would smoke on stage? Yeah. It's kind of like that. Like, you, at this point, you don't expect to not see him with it. You know what I mean? And even uh, the way he he knows how to do his pauses and then, you know, he does his, his exhales with that. He'll put the cigarette down. He'll talk a while with it. It's, it's, kind, of a, it's kind of a prop. Not, not, I don't think he's using it as a prop. I'm just saying it's, it's, it's become part of the act. You know what I mean? Right. At this point, the season without the cigarette would be a bigger deal now. Where's Dave's? uh, Because even when he didn't have it in the one special, he still had like one of those vapes or whatever that he was ripping on. So yeah, it's become part of it. And his, his, his whole like his his tone, the way he talks, even his voice, probably from years of smoking, has gotten like more raspier and everything too. So like his exhales at the end of some of his statements and things like that. It's like, it's all like tied in. I think that's why he's such the, the quintessential comedian now, because it's literally, he's literally breathing in comedy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it's, it's just become a part of him, man. I, I feel pretentious even calling that performance like an exhale, it, but it, it, like almost like an art critic like hmm, i'm sensing uh an exhale but right before the next inhale what's that going to, to be like you know i don't know some jammy notes yeah <laughs> <laughs> but no it's i mean it's a uh, it's a good bookend like you were saying i i think that that plays into it and also the anticipation too when we heard that Chappelle was going to be hosting yeah. the night after election day like first and foremost we didn't know whether or not we were going to have the results like last time because of all the mail-in votes. Too soon. So that ability to not just be another woke comedian on TV who's pandering to liberals, which, I mean, arguably Dave Chappelle probably is the most woke in the true sense of the word comedian just because he's a very, very, you know, intellectual, uh, finger-on-the-post type of person, you know what I mean? But he gets both of those ears, and he gets... And and I know I see that in comments. You know what I mean? Oh, the the the, the liberal audience is triggered, and they they can't handle Dave's realness. And then and then of course black people were always like, oh shit, he's showing off. He's telling white people the truth to their face. You know what I mean? So yeah. he's saying something that resonates with everyone. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and Dave Chappelle plays into the things that connect us. So he that's why he can talk to any audience so he plays into things like empathy which is a big theme in this um in this whole bit uh, like empathy like joy like um like feeling hurt i mean everybody can connect with that and so or being misunderstood like he does a good job of of communicating that um it, while making other points so you don't even think 
about the fact that you're like feeling those things or thinking those things or connecting with those things yeah. to somebody in the audience because he's so good at weaving it in. He starts with uh, just the simple line, pretty incredible day. <laughs> the audience reacts how he expects. Uh, you know, they, they cheer, they clap. Uh, it's, you know, because it's SNL. You're not getting, <laughs> you're not getting people like walking in there like, wait, I thought this was Larry the Cable guy. What? Yeah, what? yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, it's a given, yeah, big night, Dave Chappelle. So, you know, those first few lines, but it very much was like a, kind of the thesis statement for the, you know what I mean? Yeah. Day, and then expound from there, you know? Yeah. Right. Just the, the simple fact of telling people that he's nervous. Everybody connects with that. And it's like, oh, wait, this, this behemoth of comedy is nervous? Okay. Um, so instant connection, two sentences. We're, we're barely even five words into this monologue and he's, he's connected with the audience. And then he tells a personal story, which, you know, I mean, any, any good presentation, any good speaker will open with some sort of anecdote, some sort of personal story. And it's got a great build. Uh, do you want to kind of take us through that? You know, he's talking about his great grandfather, the three things that he cared about. And well, then... that, that that part reminded me of um, the 846 Netflix thing uh, mm -hmm. that he did in a sense to where it, it's this it's this story that spans time that is linked to this one thing that we're talking about. And in doing this, you uh you get to learn a lot, but then Dave Chappelle being Dave Chappelle, he flips it. And the joke is even, it, it kind of crashed, you know what I mean? Like I, I've been sold more, this nigga's been sold more than me or whatever. So, you know, first end bomb he drops, you know, so, oh, we're doing that tonight. So it gets you ready for that. And then mm -hmm. uh, it talks about uh, slavery, but in a joking way, but he, he just gave you this story. So it's true. So this isn't like a made up, you know, guy walks into the bar. No, this is my great grandfather. This is the lineage and this is all that. And then and still being able to uh, have it be that heavy and poignant end on a very light but kind of crass type of joke and have it all be true. You know, that's kind of right. what you want as a comic in, in your stuff because the, the, the old, you know, haha, it's funny because it's true. Which th those are the ones that hit. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so to be able to do that and to have like that that truth that that history be the anchor of the joke, but still the joke pops out on top as just this like quick kind of you know well, mm -hmm. so more to me, you know what I'm saying like and i I was thinking about that the second time I rewatched it too, because that's when I realized that it was this like longer joke because so the setup is pretty long, mm -hmm. and that's the good thing about him too, like his voice. Just, just the way he, he talks, he's able to pull you in when it's not that joke every 12 to 15 seconds. So you're still there, you know what I mean? And I think uh, the truth helps with that because you're wondering, well, where is this going? He's, this is a big deal. He's talking about his great-grandfather. And wow, and then like I learned little stuff like, wow, that Chappelle name goes up. Because, you know, marriages and all this stuff, our, our names don't, who knows how far we, you know what I mean, your name goes right. back to especially as a black person, be able to trace it back that far. And so that, that helps the, the joke too. So those little breadcrumbs keep you in there, keep you in there. It's, it's heavy, it's poignant, wow. And then, like, like I said, support the end on just that quick thing. It's, it, and it's that, that what he does, that weaving the heavy into the, the light and nonsensical and, and have it all, like, make sense. You know what I mean? It's like, right. it's like rapping over 
a real like um a classical beat like you know what i mean i, I saw one time uh nas did this concert and he had this whole orchestra to do the whole sound of it but yeah just to have but to have something like that swimming in that is like mm. that's what really gets your ear and like keeps you there like dude this dude's but like I said, at the end, the, the punchline isn't some big E equals MC squared thing. It just becomes a kind of quick, really smart nigga joke. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it fucking works, you know? Right. So, yeah. Right. I wish he could see me. I flew on a private jet to host SNL. I got Netflix yeah. special. Yeah, yeah. Like, so you're, you're pulling on emotions and it's this and that. And then it's a bunch of more than me. It's a long setup. And, and that's the other thing, too. When the punchline comes in, it doesn't feel like a build-up and payoff thing. It just seems kind of, too, like a, just a progression of the story. Mm-hmm. And then you got to laugh at the end of it. It doesn't feel set-up knockdown, you know? Like, the comic in me didn't feel the set-up knockdown until I rewatched it. And that's the thing. As us, uh, we know how the sausage is made. So when we dissect this, we can see it. But I don't, you know, a lot of people who don't, or maybe they do. Maybe I'm overthinking it. But a lot of people who don't do jokes, they, they can't they can't see when the magic trick is coming. You know what I mean? Right. And have just that long setup and be that heavy and then it flip and you get the punchline. You know what I mean? It's like, wow, nice. It's like when you when you rewatch um Goodfellas and the scene when he takes Karen on the date for the first time and they go through the kitchen and all that. It took me years to realize that was one shot without a cut. So when you're first watching it, you could think that even this is some amateur who's just following some people through, and it's not until you get an eye for how things are going that you're like, damn, he did that whole thing in one one thing. And that's how jokes like that, in my mind, play out. You know what I mean? It's like it's, it's more going on than what you see, but it's so downplayed that it doesn't come across as heavy, which, once again, on big nights like this helps – fucking sets like this because you don't feel the finger wagging or and white people hate when black people teach them stuff or talk about slavery so you didn't have any of those feelings in that you're you're just you're just in this ride with him you know what i mean it's like buckle up and where you're going and then it just goes interesting how uh most of that audience that predominantly white audience was afraid to laugh so but then but then they gave him him an applause break which was the appropriate response because it was like that's what that joke deserved was right. not because not because you couldn't laugh, but because that really did deserve an, an applause break. It was like the perfect, you know, save, I guess, because they were just like, ah, I don't want to laugh at that after that heavy story and then laugh at a joke about people being sold. You know, yeah. it's tough. And they don't want to seem like they're approving of it. And then they're just like, but yeah, just give them an applause break because that's what it really deserves. <laughs> it does. Well, one thing well, that- well, the way it's laid out, though, like I said, I think some of that, too, is some of it's the nervous kind of PC liberal, like, I don't yep. know whether to laugh or not. I've had that, like, uh, we, we all joke about that, like, shows we've had, and uh, and um, Dave Flynn, he'll say that, you know, there's a black dude in the audience, y'all can laugh at this joke, so sometimes there's some of that energy going on. And honestly, like I said, like, that was the first M-bomb that got dropped, and I think I think you might have had a little bit of that you know what I mean? Because I feel that in the audience, you know what I mean? If it's black comics and uh, predominantly white audience and then like somebody drops the M-bomb and like you can just feel it. Sometimes it takes a minute to go through the room. You, it's, it's, a, it's just very, it's very coarse. 
It's like mm-hmm. saying cunt around a bunch of white women. Yeah. Like it's gonna take some. Even you can have the funniest joke, but you put cunt in there, and it's like, ooh. <laughs> Especially when people aren't ready for it, you know. It's got potency. Yeah. One thing that Dave Chappelle's so incredibly good at is the compelling walk to the punchline. Like mm. you got an insight to what his day was like, what he was thinking about. Like he had brought us into everything leading up to him walking on that stage right there in front of us. Like he painted that picture for us, everything he was going through, everything he had gone through before he had walked out, what was running through his mind. So we felt there with him. So that's one thing Dave Chappelle is so incredibly good at is compelling you immediately because of the tone, the rhythm. He doesn't feel like he's necessarily telling you jokes he feels like he's talking to you. And that's one thing Dave Chappelle, that's in my mind, that's what makes him the greatest of all time uh, as a comedian is his ability to make you feel like you're the only one listening. Yeah. And what, and what to piggyback off what you were saying, Jeremy, he told you about his day, like what he did, how he was feeling. He told you all about like everything you needed to know about his great grandfather in like two minutes and then that's how he built the tension like a lot of times a comedian will will build the tension with like an edgy setup and and then when he got to the first punchline, uh which was i didn't get paid for any of it like it got a little bit of a subdued laugh because it kind of came from left field he had that pause right before the punchline, and then he reiterated his point in a stronger way with that, you know, I've been bought and sold more than he has. Mm-hmm. And that was the line where people were like, oh, okay, it's okay. Also because private jet, like he's on SNL. So, right, so no right. one's feeling bad for Dave Chappelle. Right. You know, he had like an optimistic, like his grandfather, his great grandfather's life story was an optimistic one. So nobody's feeling bad at the end of that joke. Yeah. Uh, even though it's like almost a modern day slavery kind of, uh, kind of spin. Right, right. I want to move on. Uh, let's move on to the, the second part of this bit because we, we can break this thing. That's the thing about comics, man. Like, we could we could do 24-hour election day coverage of one bit. <laughs> and it's it's Dave Chappelle, of all people, too. Mm-hmm. So, so, I mean. This morning, after the results came in, got a text from a friend of mine in London. And she said, the world feels like a safer place now that America has a new president. And I said, well, that's great, but America doesn't. (laughs) Do you guys remember what life was like before COVID? I do. It's a mass shooting every week. Anyone remember that? Thank God for COVID. (laughs) Something had to lock these murderous whites up, keep them in the house. (laughs) (laughs) All summer long, you know what I've been doing? I've been doing shows in Ohio. I live in a small town in Ohio, and a lot of these small towns in America was dying. My town was dying. So what I did is I did shows in my neighbor's cornfield. And these shows were very successful and may have even helped save the town. Isn't that something? And the local farmers, my neighbors, started to complain that my shows were too noisy in a cornfield. Cornfield. I had to have a whole town meeting about how noisy I was being in the cornfield. It was so embarrassing. <laughs> and I was 
I resented that these country farmers could decide a guy like me's fate. These people don't deserve to do that. They haven't seen enough. They don't know anything. They probably watch me right now. They probably look at home like, honey, come quick, come quick. The guy from the grocery store is on television. <laughs> no, you big dummy. The guy from television is at the grocery store. <laughs> Kind of guy that probably has an account on FarmersOnly.com. You ever heard of that website, FarmersOnly.com? Website that begs the question, what kind of bitch only smashes with farmers? <laughs> it's gross. His All comedic right. voice has changed over the years. Yeah. It's better. I mean, it was great back then, but it's different, and it's even, like, it's 2.0. One of the things I noticed that's the same, though, when you watch his older shit, he's always been really silly and tells really silly jokes. I think one of the reasons he gets more in trouble now for them is not so much that everyone's more PC or woke now, but, like, he was a he was this, this scrawny little, like, skinny little kid. I'm watching the Chappelle show now before we started doing this, just getting my Dave in. And, like, when you watch, like, before hiatus dave it's skinny kind of whimsical non-threatening black friend kind of and and as he's gotten older his voice is raspier he talks about more um since since the, the way the times are like you know barack obama came around trump came around so you're talking about these different subjects and i think it just it just and he put on weight you know what i mean so it, it's a huskier black guy with a deeper voice kind of talking about some of the same lighter jokes but a lot more heavy stuff in there so the 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 jokes to me are, are a lot of them are kind of the same but uh, his physical appearance just changed and his voice changed you know what i mean like 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 hearing something come out of one person and you can hear the exact same thing but if it came out of somebody else it just feels a little different and i think that's why some of the stuff feel, seems to carry weight now, because it's not like just the, the skinny, whimsical black kid saying it. It's the husky voice, like kind of been around the block, season black comics saying it, you know? I feel like he's slower and he's darker a little bit. He's definitely yeah. darker. He's measured. And yeah, I mean, that's it. And his voice has changed, like you said. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It definitely has a more introspective feel to it than it does. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, he takes those silly surface topics and then he dives deeper and asks the question, what's really going on here, I feel mm -hmm. like. Um, just like, you know, the friend from London calling to say that America's a, a safer place now that Trump's gone. And Chappelle's like, it's not. Like, <laughs> yeah. you remember what it was like before COVID? I mean, yeah, you could go and break down the statistics. More people are, are dying this year from COVID than, than mass shootings, sure. But there's more of a fear, I think, in everybody of mass shootings. Like, if yeah. if a thousand people a day were dying from mass shootings in America, no one would go out. But, you know, it's a virus, it's not a sexy, but uh, the, the point here, uh, somebody's gotta lock these murderous whites up. <laughs> I think too, like, uh, some of that joke uh, is kind of, that ability to argue both sides and he's talking kind of the good side of COVID, you know what I mean? Like the good side of COVID is it stops some of this, the shootings. And that's like, we were talking about 
in the earlier segment is that ability to argue different points of it. Like, like if I talk about COVID, everything about COVID isn't going to be, this was a bad thing that COVID did. It's like, this is a good thing COVID did. Yeah. And once again, weaving that thing in there without, like, you have to study it the way we're studying to see that he weaved it in there like that. I'm sure mm-hmm. he wasn't sitting down with, you know, like a jeweler's glass on his eye going through all this. So some of this stuff just probably comes naturally. And then when you dissect it, you get all this stuff out of it. But yeah, it's once again, that ability to see both sides of it, that ability to do perspective. Cause that's the other thing too, that COVID is very perspe- perspective because there's a lot of people who are like, well, it's not affecting me or people I know. So fuck it. But then he brings up something like, shootings affect disproportionately black people more you know what i mean so it's like well you might not be afraid of that but i'm you know i was afraid of this so once again doing a lot of different things but in a a joke that on the surface just kind of feels like you know whatever you know that's that's the thing like 99.9 percent of what we hear about covid is how bad it is and how like it's ruining things and you know, so the idea of saying, what's one good thing? Oh, yeah, no more mass shootings. Like, I've even worked that into into my school shooting joke. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and that's that's a, a powerful tool to use, not only as a comedian, but just for anybody looking for a perspective shift. It's like this terrible, let's say you got fired. Find something to be grateful for in that go like just sit down and write and you'll be able to or, or just sit down and be introspective about it the goal here is to find something to be grateful for for being fired like what's and that's that's silly because that's the last thing you want to look for you know one of my jokes was about getting fired and uh yeah trying to find the yeah the, the silver lining yeah yeah i mean that's a that's a strong comedic tool it's it's that cognitive dissonance it's Getting fired, bad thing. Being grateful, good thing. How do we connect? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the the mass shooting joke, and then he talks about um, how he's been doing these comedy shows in a cornfield in his hometown, and talks <laughs> about I I love. I think this might might be one of my favorite parts of the bit. It's uh, it's such a good bit. Uh, but this just the idea that what he's done, he single handedly pumped money into his town. Like people from all over Ohio, if you're not from Ohio, Dave Chappelle has, he, there's like a pavilion in the middle of a cornfield and they have socially distanced seating. They can get or like a few hundred people there. Maybe. I forget the number, but yeah, yeah. I think two something. I, I forget. But yeah. And they do it, or well, this is during the summer, but they did it a few nights a week. And they had uh, like Michelle Wolf and Donnell Rawlings and John Stewart they, showed they, up. Michelle Wolf and Donnell were pretty much staying down there yeah. for a while. They were on a lot of the shows, but at a certain point, there was like you would see Michelle just jogging around town because she was kind of just living there, you know. Yeah. And, and then, then uh, music people too. Uh, Bill Burr showed up. I mean, so the, uh, Louis C.K. showed up. Say what you will, you know that'll bring people up. The fact that one of these people might show up, I mean, the tickets were in high demand. I mean, he was selling them for like $500. I'm not sure if the, the money was going for like... Cancer research. Is that real? I, I no. could imagine. No. Uh, <laughs> I could imagine some of it probably went for the testing because uh, some of the comics were saying like, you get tested before you get on the plane, you get tested when you get off the plane. 
And and from what they were inferring when I was listening to Burr on his podcast was they all say Dave Chappelle took care of that. Mm. So I'm guessing that that was in the cause because they tested, they just kept testing the fuck out of everybody. Going back to, to them performing, and this kind of goes back to that kind of person, that, that kind of like small town, like hasn't seen the world, limited perspective. Uh, Dumb as fuck. Yeah. This and dude is pumping it, money. David. Just say it. Steve, I'm this is kidding, your job. I'm this is why you're, this is why I think <laughs> we do so good back and forth. It's Dave sugarcoats it. Yeah. I'm bad cop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dumb as fuck. I mean, I'm like tripping over words for two minutes trying to say that. <laughs> My partner comes in here. He's not going to be as nice as I was. Victims, phone book. <laughs> victims yeah, of circumstance. Yeah. Let's, let's compromise. I give you the coffee and Steve dumps it on you. Uh, so, there, so uh, Dave Chappelle is pumping money into this local economy, and these people have the audacity to complain that it's that it's loud. <laughs> I, I think that's funny in itself. But then he makes the point that they haven't seen enough. Like these are just local farmers; they haven't seen enough. They haven't left here. They probably lived in maybe in that house their whole life. Uh, they don't know anything. And then the paradox of the guy from the stores on TV on the yeah. television, no. <laughs> the guy from the televisions at the store like that's it's yeah. it's two perspectives of the same thing that's like a, there's a study where they ask people if it's okay to smoke while you pray and 90 percent of people say no in that same study they ask if it's okay to pray while you smoke and 90% of people say it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, it's it's the same thing, but two different angles on it. And I, I think, I mean, that's that's a great joke. Yeah, that that's really good. Yeah, cause yeah, praying um, while you smoke is not good because it's like, well, no, you're, uh, yeah, praying's supposed to be the sacred thing. You shouldn't be smoking. Uh, no, praying while you smoke is okay, but smoking yeah, while yeah, you pray yeah, is yeah, not, yeah. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, the, the, yeah, I'm sorry. I think the praying oh, while you smoke you. is okay is just because it's like, if you're smoking, you're probably stressed out about something, which probably means you need to pray. Mm -hmm. But the other one sounds more like you're just fucking up and you should be trying to be serious. It's, it's you say. Yeah, it's, it's a <laughs> script. What, at least that's what my mind is. Right, right. And, and I, I'm the same way too. That's how I kind of look at it too. Um, it's, you know, we all have a script when we hear something, when we see something that plays out in our head and what that means and what that should mean. And uh, that's what, I mean, that's what I think this joke is just like the centerpiece of this joke. Like, to be fair to his neighbors though, I mean, honestly, I wouldn't want to hear no loud shit either. So it's kind of a reason why a lot of people live in those environments because they don't want to be around that. Let alone, like, can you imagine, uh, once again, flipping things on their head? If we had a big concert, but it was like, uh, I mean, country is, uh, that's cliche, but like, uh, I don't know, a polka concert or just something that most of the neighbors are like, what the fuck are y'all doing, you know, on 117th and Clifton at <laughs> 2 in the morning, you know what I mean? So I, 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 I get what his, his neighbors are talking about, because, yeah, you're in but once again, the flip, that's the thing. You see so many angles of what he's talking about in these jokes. Like you said, like you guys were talking about his voice and how his voice has become like his ability to deliver jokes. The word in a cornfield is that 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 phrase like isn't a joke. 
but he in a cornfield you know what i mean the way he delivers that mm-hmm. and you in my mind literally pictured a cornfield and it's like yeah who are who are we disturbing the scarecrows you know what i mean yeah. like so like uh i've noticed that with a lot of his a lot of his punchlines it'll just he'll just that last word he'll push from his diaphragm and and that inflection will be where the joke is but if anybody else what was it to say it and, and one of his older not older but uh but his netflix specials uh he does that when he talks about trump and he was like uh he didn't trust him because his lips were sweating and he does the same thing he pushes it out hard like his lips are sweating like that's not a funny thing but the way he can say it the tone of his voice the way it gets pushed out at the end of that story and it just works. So, yeah. Like, what the fuck? In a cornfield? Like, <laughs> who, are, who, who am I pissing off? <laughs> right. It's the things. You were at your window, like, you know, 20 acres oh. away. <laughs> yeah, it's Maybe the they just that remain unsaid. Yeah. I think uh, a lot of Chappelle's show money is going to resuscitate the local general store and head shop, you know? Those, those, <laughs> those, charm, those farmers are getting uh, Trump socialism checks. So. <laughs> Not that well, that's not socialism. That's not socialism. You can't laugh at that. Get back on Dave's point of yeah, smoking while you pray, praying while you're smoking. In my opinion, both acts are a cancer on society. Boom, <laughs> Jeremy with the final word there. Um, cool. The other thing, uh, the last part of that bit, the farmers only part, I think, uh, I think the theme, theme for this chunk was uh, the the small like the small town frame of mind like you haven't experienced the world where where you're on a dating app where you only smash farmers like what kind of person yeah has that limited range of yeah right it's like what are you what are you learning maybe part of that too was uh him not so much talking down to him and like you haven't seen the world but like like i'm not just having some you know ecstasy party in my backyard like i'm helping comedians work like you said we're bringing money into the economy this is a and we're kind of helping people's mental stress just because of this whole covid thing that's something that no one's been talking about and i think that's why a lot of people are acting how they are and on in every way is that this has been a mentally stressful year but you know humans we we express our stress in different ways some people you know put it in some people push it out and but that that's where a lot of this is coming from but i but to Chappelle's point of the yeah you haven't been anywhere or anything like that it's like look dude i'm not that i'm you know mr magnanimous so i'm here to save the day but but this this is bigger than just a show like mm-hmm. we're, we're we're doing something this this inevitably is going to help your town this might help you in six degrees stay in that house that you love so much you know what i mean right. you'll have a tax base and people will stay here and we'll have more money circulating around and you know the and that's a college town from what i understand and he said it's fairly artsy too so i'm sure a significant portion of the people in the arts there aren't really eaten you know what i mean because anything that's like a play or a, or a concert or a, you know anything artsy just isn't really getting done here and I think that's another divide that's going on because there are places in the world, not in the world, in, in, in this country where it seems like everything's back to normal and everything looks for all intents and purposes back to normal. But if you're in the arts or if you're in certain segments of the economy, it, 
it's devastated. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's like you haven't been anywhere. This is more than just your farm that you're still plowing. This is we're we're trying to help people eat. You know? Right. Right. That's a good point. Um, yeah, I mean it's two different worlds. Um, you know, we're here for each other. Like, I mean, as much as you don't want to say it, you know, they, those they need to consume art. Like, they need to to have that stress relief. They need that joy. Yeah. You know, they need to feel something uh, that's beyond the, the normal day to day routine. And and art provides that. And the fact that he's providing that for his hometown, I mean, that's great. Um, that's. I mean, I mean, a lot of those kids who were in college there probably not going to classes there. So that's a big loss in revenue for that town mm-hmm. by yeah. simply not having those college kids there. Let's jump on to this uh, part two of this, Chuck. That whole Zoom meeting about me. I didn't talk on a meeting. I was just listening. Man, you should have heard him talking about me. He was saying, man, I'm trying to put my children to bed. And I keep hearing this guy screaming all night. My kids are trying to sleep, and all they hear is the N-word. I said, was I saying it, or were you? <laughs> he had that twang in his voice. You know that twang where you hear that accent like, oh, I know he doesn't wear his mask. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why poor white people don't like wearing masks. What is the problem? You wear a mask at the Klan rally, wear it to Walmart too. <laughs> Wear your clan hood at Walmart so we can all feel safe. (laughs) In a state like Ohio, for instance, right? People make more money from their stimulus checks than they do if they work. So a lot of people don't want to work. You know what it reminded me of? Ronald Reagan. (laughs) You're a black fella. You're a young fella, though. You don't know about Ronald Reagan. Remember what Ronald Reagan used to say about black people? How we were welfare people, drug addicts? Who does that sound like now? <laughs> Stimulus checks, the heroin. And the rest of the country is trying to move forward and these white niggas keep holding us back. <laughs> Don't even want to wear your mask because it's oppressive. Try wearing the mask I've been wearing all these years. I can't even tell something true. Unless it has a punchline behind it. You guys aren't ready. You're not ready for this. You don't know how to survive yourselves. Black people, we're the only ones that know how to survive this. Whites, come, hurry quick. Come get your nigga lessons. <laughs> you need us. You need our eyes to save you from yourselves. Remember when, when white people and black people couldn't be together? It was just white people alone in the club dancing. You ever see that old footage? How'd they look? This is what they was doing with the bike. <laughs> you need some black eyes to look at you like, mm-mm, mm-mm, stop doing that. Dude, that's awesome. <laughs> it's so much in that in that chunk you just played. Mm-hmm. Let's start with the uh, with the farmers tucking their kids in at night. There's a guy out in the field keeps saying the N word. <laughs> That's such a good joke. Oh, um, brilliant. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Um, yeah, because again. that gets to the point of 
are you mad that I'm saying the N-word or are you mad that in your mind I'm this nigga who's keeping you up? You know what I mean? Like, 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 is it the N-word that you're hearing or is it I'm offended that this black man is, is keeping me like woke? You know what I mean? Fair point. Or it's like his joke about the word faggot. Oh, yeah. How come you could say, yeah, yeah. It's very yeah, similar. I'm... Reminded me of that. Yeah, the word I faggot know. is like a gun. It's protected by an amendment. It can hurt a lot of people and you shouldn't unload it in a gay nightclub. <laughs> <laughs> is that his? <laughs> no, I wrote that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's words all day. Damn. <laughs> I've been waiting to do that one on stage. <laughs> it was a perfect moment for it. You crossed the line. So then, uh, so then it goes from that into he uses the twang as kind of a bridge into the. You could tell with the twang that you're not, you know, that's the kind of person who doesn't wear a mask. Yeah. Wear a mask at the Klan rally. You can wear it at Walmart. My favorite line of that is, "So we can all feel safe." Yeah. Just the idea of seeing somebody in a Klan mask in 2020. It's like, well, at least he's wearing a mask. <laughs> Our fears have shifted in some in some instances. I like too how he uh, and he's done this in his other ones too. But how it's not just like him attacking white people per se or doing a black white joke, because he puts class in it too. He 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 always emphasizes poor whites, and it's not that rich white people don't do it, but I think it's because. White people are never talked to directly that way. When we do these elections and we're talking about the middle class is struggling, a lot of these are poor white people, but they don't identify as being poor white people. You know what I mean? They identify wants to. As, yeah, they identify as either being normal or middle class or this and that. And I think he poignantly does that to let you know, like, like he said before, I'm rich. I've been in these rooms and at these parties, and they talk about you all just as much as they talk about us. And you kind of have to realize uh, that that part of the stratosphere you're in. And that's also why he's like, he, he uh, says later in the joke, I feel your pain because I know you're going through shit. And then when he talked about the, when he talked about the Ronald Reagan thing and the drug thing and these white niggas holding us back. I, once again, just constantly flipping things, flipping perspective, uh, like all these years. And it was perceived that we were, you know, black people were these mooches on society and these drug addicts. And now all of a sudden, like, look, <laughs> like, look who's doing it now. You know what I mean? And not that it hasn't been that way, but it's so in your face. It's so undeniable now. You, you, you used to could, could 100% do the whole, you know, ghetto, drug dealer, black, and welfare mom, and this, that, and the other. But, I mean, you know, Mitch McConnell's state, Kentucky, that's always an easy one to pick apart. Uh, and a lot of these red states are like that. They overwhelmingly receive government benefits and they, and as much as they demonize, you know, all these democratic cities and states, like uh, I'm sure we all know, like the statistic that, you know, New York and Cali, you know, they pay into the system. And then a lot of these red states take more money out than they pay in. You know what I mean? So, you know, long way around that, but yeah, I, that's why I like when he always doesn't just say white, but he says poor white because mm white people don't get addressed in that way uh, of, because I think it's easy to ignore kind of your plight if you don't identify with being in that group. Right, and and I think that doesn't, uh, the way he approaches it, it gets people's subconscious working too, because when he says poor whites, they're like, oh no, that's not me. But then when he describes a behavior that they do, 
even though they're still in the front of their minds, they're like, oh, that's not me. In the back of their minds, it's like, eh. it's like, uh, no, I'm not, I'm not poor. I'm middle class. It's like, dude, you live in your car. Yeah, yeah. but it's a 2016 Trailblazer. So <laughs> <laughs> you can't laugh at that. At the very end of this chunk, he goes into the mask he's been trying to wear. The line that I can't tell you something that's true unless it has a punchline behind it. That's such, that's, I mean, that's true for comics for sure. But like, is he speaking to himself as an individual? Yeah, but it's all of it. It's, it's the comedian. It's the, me as a black man, of course, it's the black yeah. man in there too. That's the you next point. I mean? uh, that not being able to, because one, and like we were talking about the Trump uh, person who listens to it, who it resonates with, uh, the joke is the sugar for them to make the medicine go down. Yeah. But they don't. But they don't even realize the medicine. It's it's like the people who hold up the you know get your government hands off my Medicare. The connection isn't even made, even though it's right there in yeah. their face. Too soon. The idea of white people not knowing how to survive themselves. Black people are the only ones who know how. That is a message that comes full circle at the end that he bookends it with. And uh, the example that he uses that everyone can agree upon is white people used to look ridiculous when they danced. <laughs> <laughs> if, if black culture hadn't intervened, <laughs> you know, and, and everybody can answer. agree on that. Like nobody, nobody wants to go back to these days except for the people that are dead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they're all dying of COVID now, so it's fine. Good. <laughs> yes. But I, I think that's like, you know, the science thing. You know, the more DNA in the pool, the healthier the, the specimen. You know what I mean? The more isolated you are, the more, you know, it's the shit in the bathroom. The more you're by yourself, you don't smell that. You know what I mean? Right. Somebody else comes in and you're like, ooh. It's yeah. Like shit in here. <laughs> right. That was the downfall of evolutionary humanism. That was the downfall of like not the Nazis. You can't be in an echo chamber and the ultimate irony is that the people who are closer to those communities complain about the liberal echo chamber and it's like yo how about we just stop being in an echo chamber and listen to each other well part of another part too is this medium i'm looking through is our phones it's, yeah. it's become the ultimate like we were saying the slaves to the algorithm like Ooh, yeah everything is just a feed loop back into you it's just confirmation bias on demand <laughs> like Damn, that's so true. Everything reaffirms my rightness, you know. Yeah. And I don't mean like right leaning, but my correctness, you know what I mean? Right. So, and that's naturally how our brains work too. Yeah. So so that that's another thing that's exacerbated like this this Trump era is we do need more people to be able to look at people like you know, the dancing analogy, like you're dancing wrong, but like the thinking analogy of like we keep talking about these hypocrisies like okay maybe you can feel a certain way or maybe you can feel this way but you have to at least know that these two thoughts you know are incongruent in your head and i think that's why us as comedians can recognize that because you know that that's a joke incongruity yeah but we recognize that because that's what we're purposely trying to do they're they're oblivious to it and it's like you know it's is Trump walking around with the tissue on his foot, going up? Right, his, right. You know, like just oblivious, just in, in still, yeah. Yeah, it's our job to address the incongruity and solve it, whereas the normal person avoids it and avoids admitting that it's a thing. Because having two unlike thoughts at once is that's traumatic. 
Cue the cognitive dissonance. So that's where all those uh, that's where all those conspiracy theories come from. Mm-hmm. You know, because uh, I, I was uh, watching this thing. They were talking about slavery and how you know uh, a lot of gyneco- gynecological things that were invented were invented because they would do these experiments on on black female slaves and of course they didn't give them any anesthesia not that there was much of any kind back then anyway but they would say well these women don't feel pain the way other people do cognitive dissonance because you can't in your brain as a human admit that you're hurting somebody who's feeling pain so they don't feel pain so it's okay what we're doing so yeah so yeah it's like yeah the cognitive dissonance helps all that and that's why the none of the hypocrisy is really seen because you, you I need this conspiracy the, the conspiracy about the votes not you know it, it can't be that more people hated me it must have been somebody cheated you know yeah the whole town had Trump signs why didn't Trump win yeah yeah exactly like they're Trump signs and once again so the <laughs> former girl could be in the town, there are Trump signs all in my town I mean I don't get it yeah i didn't see any biden flags on any cars by the way john good luck uh more dna in the gene pool good luck like getting that point across to a native american you people just start these white people start showing up disease was everywhere killing <laughs> us off you guys were would have been okay man <laughs> White people survived the, the the black plague. It took it, it took some it took some it took some generations, but they still carry that that uh the immunization from all that. So you, you guys, it, it was it was the added murder and slavery that I think really did them in, though. No, yeah. no, it was it was smallpox. It, it was it was definitely the. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to be make light of it. <laughs> nope. <laughs> they couldn't load those muskets fast enough. But that that smallpox went way faster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, way faster. That was one of the reasons they came and got our black asses because black people were immune from all those diseases. Because most of those diseases came from Africa or Asia, so yeah. we had been dealing with them for years. So it's like, yeah. yeah. Let's speaking of infectious diseases, let's move on to the next part of the uh, of. Fire Fauci. Yeah. <laughs> Has he done that yet? Probably soon. Now Trump is gone. Yes. You know, I know a lot of people don't like him, but I thought the guy was at least an optimist. I, I am not as optimistic as he was. I look at it like, well, there's bad people on both sides. All right, just trying him out. called the coronavirus the Kung Flu. I said, you racist, hilarious son of a bitch. I'm supposed to say that, not you. It's wrong when you say it. So I'm on a press conference one time. Donald Trump's a wild guy. You ever see this? He, he was on a press conference, tried to guess the cure of the coronavirus in front of the whole world. It's a wild thing to do. Uh, what about very powerful light directly in the body? I said, what? <laughs> this man just suggests that I put sunshine directly in my body. Well, that's insane. He went further. Uh, what 
your rectum in your body. I said, oh boy. Secret Service is gonna have to childproof the White House. Now he's trying to drink the bleach. <laughs> Mr. President, don't touch that stove, it's hot. Turn those scissors around if you're gonna run around the house like this, Mr. President. This is... <laughs> Scariest part about that, <laughs> one of the leading virologists in the world was sitting as close as you are to me and she just watched him say it. It's crazy, her face was looking like he, he might be right. She was... I saw that, I said, ooh, that's why. That's why. That's why women make half. <laughs> Did I trigger you? <laughs> I don't know what it is, half, maybe 70%, whatever it is, it's too much. <laughs> I'm sorry, Lauren, I thought we were having a comedy show. <laughs> it's like a woke meeting in here. Oh, man, another comedian who's got a point of view on Trump. You know what, though? I would say that that strip of it, that whole thing that we just played, was why a Trump supporter would love that set. Because, yeah, he's making Trump jokes, but the first one, like you said, how you like the both sides one, they hate how we literally call them out for, for trying to normalize Nazis. And that joke, in a way brings it back to being a joke instead of us trying to hold a mirror up to them. Mm -hmm. So now it's more in joke territory, you know what I mean? And then as it goes on, even though he's making jokes about Trump and the sunshine and stuff like that, it's very like kind of lighthearted. And then when you get into the woman part of it and then them not getting paid and, and did I trigger you or it's just too woke? I can see how that whole chunk of it, they would eat that, that up because those are the points that they like to hear because, because uh, oh, we can't do woman jokes anymore, and I don't like all this woke shit, and and that Charlottesville thing, it was, it was, just, it wasn't a big deal. So and he, we made jokes, and see, that's why Chappelle's making a joke. I can see how they can comfortably walk through that whole part of the set. And that's, I mean, that's how you address. That's how you address. First of all, if you ever watched an interview with Trump, he could be with anybody if you lead off your question it can be a like a very anti-trump not anti-trump question but it can be like really questioning some of the things that he hates talking about because he did a terrible job if you boost his ego and then ask the question it's a different response than if you're like well you did this wrong how dare you do this why did you do that he's gonna walk out of the interview yeah. there, there's no getting through to that so it's that the, the simple you know um and, and then they have to put his name every so many words in the memos to keep his attention. Yeah. But viewing Trump as an optimist, that's one we haven't heard because from the liberal perspective, it's untrue. But from the conservative perspective, it's true. So the fact that he's playing into that, oh, he's an optimist. I thought there were bad people on both sides. Like yeah. there was, it was a miss with the audience there. I'm not 100% sure why. I, I mean, we can dive into that. But I think for me, it took me a second to be like, oh, I get it. And then I laughed. I, like, I thought that was, I thought it was one of the better jokes. I think that's what it was. Because I, I didn't process it completely the first time I heard it. It felt flat with me the first time I heard mm -hmm. it. But then when I heard it again, it really resonated. But once again, I mean, you got to think, we keep stopping this thing. 
This yeah. monologue just kept going. So you're they got hit with so much stuff, like your brain's kind of playing catch up, you know. It's like a silly Adam Sandler movie, like some of the jokes you don't get until you watch it again, you know what I mean? Right. And I that that might have been um some of the and, and once again, something that heavy. I mean, can you name anyone else who's done a Charlottesville joke? So so but like so walking through that minefield, they probably they didn't know where it was coming and where you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, and even the punchline wasn't a slap hard down like ha ha ha. There was some thinking involved. So yeah, they they just they got left at the at the uh, uh, edge of the cliff, not knowing if to jump off and have fun with it or if they were supposed to keep listening for something more, you know, poignant or whatever. Yeah, it, it's you know what's weird about that is I have a joke where I'm like, um, and some I assume are good people. I put that into a joke and nobody knows what the fuck I'm talking about. And I think that happened kind. Of, well, they did know what he's talking about a little bit, but it wasn't connecting either yeah i mean he hadn't made the reference very clear to everybody yeah yeah. if he would have said oh when he was at that conference for the thing that happened in charlottesville i think it would have landed it would have been it would have landed better because everybody would have been on board the context of the punchline yeah kind of like i in my opinion that's what makes the joke so great because he didn't spoon feed me well, exactly. Us as comedians, we know that. Like, and you got to trim as much yeah. fat off the joke as you can. And it's if you the more on there, and and they having to explain it, you know, it's like asking her, "Did you come?" Like, if you got to go through all that, then it's not. Yeah, if and you got to do... keep in mind that he's under the restraints of time. Like this right. is a set that he like, or, or a special where he he has all the time in the world. He knows he's got to fit this all this in in a particular moment in time before they go to commercial break or if they get to the next sketch or whatever so, yeah you can't have these big like exposition like yeah dumps at the head of every joke <laughs> you know what i mean like and kind of in a way this this whole presidency has been that so it's like all right we we all got the clip the clip notes so. <laughs> trump just speaks in exposition yeah yeah he'd be a terrible script writer <laughs> and then uh, and then he goes into calling it kung flu uh yeah and calling Trump a racist, and then that pause, hilarious son of a bitch. Like it's a president calling the virus the kung flu. That's there's some levity there. I never, it never really bothered me. Like, like so many social justice warriors were just like, how dare he do this? And it's like you're mit- you're you're getting mired in the details and missing out on the big picture here. Like yeah. what he calls it doesn't matter. That's that's semantics. You're getting wrapped up in semantics while people are literally dying out there because, you know, he's not doing anything. I think it was, I think to me it was a big deal, but the problem was, and this is what fucked up the press and a lot of people, that attitude should have been like that way far out, like, I mean, before presidency, like with the birtherism. Mm -hmm. Like if you wanted to like kind of police the tone, but since he had already birthed and grabbed the pussy and all that, and we're all the way at this part in the pandemic into the fourth year of his presidency, you can't go all the way back to first base on the on the language police part of it. It's like we're we're past. So that's what makes the left seem frivolous for like trying to cling to those straws. You know what I mean? Because it's like you haven't held into account for any of that. So trying to do it now just seems more like. Uh, 
semantics or whatever, like you were saying. Like, yeah, it's like kung uh, flu is just blame shifting too. That's not just a culturally insensitive. Yeah, term. yeah, that's the bigger picture to me. Yeah. Is like again yeah, playing like the victim. Who wasn't Spanish at all, and all in all likelihood, it came from an American pig farm. But it ended up there because of the war. You gotta but externalize it, it. Yeah, but there's always that. That's America's thing, and once again, it resonates with its base because it's always it's always somebody else's fault. Yeah, and I and I think that joke works as well as it did because then it goes into I'm supposed to say that like that does sound like something that would be on the Chappelle show or. And once again, why Trump supporters could love that section of the whole thing because once again, see, he's just joking. He's making light of it. Dave Chappelle sees the humor in it. Why can't you soft people? And then when Dave Chappelle pushes up and does the sexism joke and stuff like that, it even further affirms their point of these are just jokes and you all can't even handle these jokes. So I that that his ability to weave that in and once again, not make it seem like I'm trying to play to this side or I'm trying to to, to give equal time just, just going through the whole thing. That That's the brilliance of it because you can be right, but it's like being in a relationship. Being right all the time ain't going to get you a good relationship. You can't be right all the time with your girlfriend or she can't be right all the time with you, even if she's right. <laughs> right. It's just uh, the, human, the human psychology just doesn't work that way. You just... Even if even if you're wrong, you just feel put upon. I think that's one of the things that really should be studied as far as human nature and things that we do, just real ways to communicate and what we will be receptive to and what ultimately, even if for the greater good, we won't be receptive to. So that's why we're having all these big problems. We know how to address these problems, if not solve most of them. But we can't even come to the table because no one wants to give a any inch of you know concede any points uh, right okay. no one wants to admit to being wrong it's that judgment thinking that that's really because it's either right or wrong and it's like no there's so much more nuance you can't laugh at that one of my problems with a lot of comics talking about trump and the drinking the bleach and or injecting the bleach and the the uv light on the inside is that he didn't that they misconstrue it as him telling people to do it he was asking the experts if that's a possibility yeah. on camera and so the way Chappelle framed it as he tried to guess the coronavirus cure on national tv like that's that's a much funnier framing because to me it's more right. truthful right um and then and then he makes makes he takes the trump that we know and either hate or love and he turns him into a child oh now we have to childproof the white house so now now you take trump out of context like subconsciously now he's a child to you that's how early on in his presidency i would try to like rationalize the fact that, that he's like president he's doing this he's, oh no he's just a he's just a little kid that's never been told no yeah so he needs a change of heart yeah and by that i mean like physically like his heart will i want yeah. to have a heart attack man there's a lot of plaque or whatever <laughs> caked on that thing yeah. <laughs> brush your teeth yeah the best black ever Br no you can i brush, brush your my heart, heart? <laughs> yeah. can you do that we can do that right yeah um and then and then the defenders actually when they do the uh the class <laughs> the with the arteries that's kind of what they're doing it's kind of scrubbing so it's kind of right in the way i, yeah. I, I always see that it uh, Kanye got a bunch of those apologists too. Whenever he says something absolutely backwards, well, actually, he, when he was saying slavery is a choice, he was saying that you should be free in your mind. It's like, okay, all right, okay. Gee. 
The only stint I want him to put in is in a jail. Laughing. <laughs> 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 what was it about the uh, the comment on why women make half? What What do you think his intent was with that job? I mean, you can guess as much as possible, but like. I've seen him do that before with sexist type jokes. For one, it's so ridiculous. You know, it's a joke. But yeah. I think, too, it's one of those uh, you're subverting the audience. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you're, you're just, he is, it's like he, he knows he's performing in front of a bunch of people who hate Trump. Mm -hmm. So I, I can't, I, I got to dig myself a hole. You know how, like, good comedians dig themselves a hole to, to dig out of mm -hmm. or just to stay in. But but it's but it's the like at the beginning of one of his uh, recent specials where he was like, I'm too good at this. It's too easy. It's to the point to where I'll write a punchline first and work work my way backwards. And I'm sure some of that was gloating and embellished. But he probably is. I mean, he's self aware. He probably does know that he's so good at this. I can't just come out there and kill in front of a bunch of people in New York who's happy the day that this has been announced that Donald Trump is. But he was like, How can I still make this? You know, there, there's got to be some pushback. You know, you need defense and offense. I just, it, you can, you can, you know, you can shoot those foul shots all day. But you but, could shoot, I, you could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue, and people will still be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, yeah, I think it was just just subverting expectations and and taking just taking the energy somewhere else because he his his level of fame and love that he gets. I'm sure it gets annoying after a while, the clapping and your grading. And it's like, you got to turn some corners to make, mm -hmm. to make it fun for yourself on stage. You know what I mean? Mm. It's like, I mean, it's, yay, you love me, but Jesus, I, you know, sometimes the groans are fun. Merge, you got a lot of really great jokes, but some of them are dark. And I could tell, like, when you get some of the reactions, like, you like it. We as comics, when we're in the back listening, we love that shit. Same thing mm -hmm. with Jeremy. Like some of your jokes are so dark that it it's just that thing where yeah, I can I guess I can do another joke that can keep these dominoes going. But what happens if I turn on the audience a little bit? What'll happen then? And that's <laughs> something that good comedians know how to just to keep not just the audience engaged, but keep yourself there. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That's the reason why the character Steve, uh, the Colbert show is so incredibly funny because ignorance is funny. Yeah. yeah, who don't realize how ignorant they are? There's still a, a a sliver of comedy there, and I think that's what he was trying to show everybody that I'm going to make this incredibly ignorant statement, and it doesn't make it any less funny. Right, uh, and then he does it like he breaks the fourth wall and addresses Lorne Michaels directly. Which, yeah, I mean it, that that's a, that's the end of that chunk. Move on to the next chunk. Like that's a great yeah. way to do it, and that's a great way for us to do it too. And after all that, you know what he did? You know what Trump did after all that stuff? Went out and got the coronavirus. Wasn't that something? <laughs> you know, when he got coronavirus, they said everything about it on the news. But you know what they didn't say? That it was hilarious. <laughs> it was hilarious. Trump getting coronavirus was like when Freddie Mercury got AIDS. Nobody was like, well, how did he get it? <laughs> <laughs> Guy was running around like the outbreak monkey. He looked like a 1970s penis, raw dog and earth. <laughs> the day after he made fun of Joe Biden's mask, this guy wears the best.
biggest mask I've ever seen, which is a ridiculous thing. Joe Biden's mask wasn't any bigger than anybody else's mask, Mr. President. <laughs> Lucky for the rest of the country, though, he had, he had a good uh, health care plan, didn't he? Some good coverage. Helicopter picked him up. <laughs> right in his front yard, helicopter came. Remember that video where he's walking to the helicopter all by himself? No one to be around. Usually he's walking to the helicopter with a bunch of people. No one's around at this time because, you know, you know, he had the Rona. <laughs> had his mask on then, didn't he? He was walking over. <laughs> helicopter took him to Walter Reed Hospital. Uh, you know, I'm from D.C. And I got to tell you, uh, Walter Reed is not close to the White House, but you can walk. The doctors was waiting for him. All the doctors came around and gave him experimental medicine and stuff and flew him back home in a helicopter. And then he walked right up the steps. You ever see this video? He took his mask off and saluted a helicopter and then walked right in the house, killed four more people. <laughs> I said, $700.50 in taxes goes a long way, doesn't it, sir? Some cold stuff, man. Some cold stuff. That would be like me going to a homeless shelter with a bag full of hamburgers and saying, these is mine's. <laughs> and then just start eating in front of all the homeless. <laughs> Don't let hunger dictate your life. That <laughs> <laughs> was cold, man. Meanwhile, Chris Christie's fat ass was in the ICU fighting for his life. <laughs> Chris Christie got all the fixings. <laughs> Everything coronavirus likes to eat, that's what's in Chris Christie's body. <laughs> Fat, check. Asthma, check. Diabetes, check. Coronavirus is like, mmm, mmm. <laughs> Herman Cain's black ass had been dead for two weeks. Where was his secret serum? That's your leader. Think about that. For four years, that's your leader. What kind of man does that? What kind of man makes sure he's okay while his friends fight for their lives and die? A white man. And I don't mean to put this on the whites, but I've been black a long time. I've noticed the pattern. <laughs> So fucking funny. Yeah, it's uh, it's. You can't refute that. You can't. And can't. he makes the point. Like he makes Trump a person. He almost. He's almost like you wouldn't hang out with this guy. Like you, the the right. friend who who makes sure he's okay before you're okay. Well, meanwhile, you're dying and getting like the same treatment as everyone else. It's even to to your points, John. Even if you're a Trump supporter, you don't necessarily, you don't agree with that basic human behavior, loyalty. Yeah. And what he's talking about too, what I picked up was um, like we were saying, like there are not a, a lot of exposition dumps in this. So, but the, you know, and he, it, there's a few flubs in here. Like it was $750 in taxes he paid, not 750 cents. And then the Herman Cain have been dead for since summer, not two weeks. But uh, overall, like the with him talking about, you know, 
that $700, you know, pay for a lot. Once again, you're getting into healthcare, universal coverage, which everybody wants, something that this guy is against. He didn't do any setup for that, but he dropped it there for it, and, and it's there for you to dissect. You know what I mean? And then um, who does that? A white man does that. What I hear is once again, like the $750 is more like a jab at just capitalism itself, because that's, that's what capitalism is built on is as long as I'm okay. It's like, I really don't, it's not that I don't give a fuck about y'all, but it's really just as long as I'm okay. I mean, oh, well. Yeah, you know, yeah. And then the rest is fun. The fucking Chris Christie, he's got a, that's just fucking hilarious. Mm-hmm. Like, just saying his name. I mean, the fact that it almost sounds like Krispy Kreme. I mean, Jesus Christ. You, <laughs> all those jokes. And once again, those are gimmies. So for him to be able to weave in the other shit is just uh, the theme of it. I'm, I'm weaving in these bigger themes. And then I, and I'll, I'll fling you the, the easy jokes there, there to keep the laughs going. But but to weave in the, the fact that yeah, and, and the uh, don't let hunger dictate your life. I love that line because it starts <laughs> to get a little dry and you don't know where he's going with it. And that's exactly how we treat healthcare in this country. You know what I mean? The fact that not only uh, have you not even paid into this system that you're benefiting from, but you're getting this universal health care. And, and all these other people, like he's saying, don't let coronavirus dictate your life. That was a line that Trump said. And uh, it's like, yeah, well, easy for you to say somebody benefiting from a system that we can't even benefit from, you know? It's yeah. a very outside looking in, childish way of just looking at things. But that's how we treat people and how we um, address, like, uh, or how we go by, you know, doing capitalism in this country is just it's very 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 selfish and back to the point jeremy was talking to before socialism's in there but the socialism is going to the top while you're getting lectures about how bad socialism would be for you and all that is weaves in that fucking joke right and yeah and then uh he opens it when uh you know he talks about how it's hilarious that he got covid which, which so many comedians got ragged on for how dare you, like, I don't like Trump, but how dare you say that? That's, that's a person with a family and how dare, you know, that he's dying and he, he could die from this thing. And it's like, uh-huh. yo, he brought it up when people, actions are always funny. Like if people do something that they can, they can uh, avoid doing and they still do it anyway, that's funny. You set yourself up for that. That it's, was poetic justice in, in every sense. And to the point of what we were talking about before, the way a Trump supporter could listen and still digest that, he puts the Freddie Mercury in it. And then, oh, yeah, because ha ha. Like, he, 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 his ability to keep everyone listening, Mm -hmm. even when he's about to get into things about socialism, classism, and race, who does that a white man? But he kept everyone listening and laughing through that. And that's how you do it, you know? Right. You summed up literally every note I had about that. <laughs> uh, all right, let's 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 round this whole thing out. But if you're a good white, <laughs> you actually want to help, join me. I'm not even joking. This is my it's my plan. It's called the kindness conspiracy. It's random acts of kindness for black people. Do something nice for a black person just because they're black. And you gotta make sure they don't deserve it.
That's a very important part of it. They can't deserve it. The same way all them years they did terrible things to black people just because they're black and they didn't deserve it. If you're driving through the hood one day and you see a black dude standing on the corner selling crack, destroying his community, buy him an ice cream. Just buy him some ice cream. <laughs> He'll be suspicious, but he'll take it. I would implore everybody who's celebrating the day to remember it's good to be a humble winner. Remember when I was here four years ago? Remember how bad that felt? Remember that half the country right now still feels that way. Please remember that. Remember that for the first time in the history of America, the life expectancy of white people is dropping because of heroin, because of suicide, all these white people out there that feel that anguish, that pain, that mad because they think nobody cares, and maybe they don't. Let me tell you something. I know how that feels. I promise you, I know how that feels. If you're a police officer, and every time you put your uniform on, you feel like you got a target on your back. You're appalled by the ingratitude that people have when you would risk your life to save them. Oh, man, believe me. Believe me. I know how that feels. Everyone knows how that feels. But here's the difference between me and you. You guys hate each other for that. And I don't hate anybody. I just hate that feeling. That's what I fight through. That's what I suggest you fight through. You gotta find a way to live your life. You gotta find a way to forgive each other. You gotta find a way to find joy in your existence in spite of that feeling. And if you can't do that, come get these nigga lessons. Thank you very much and good night. I love how he just forgot to do the whole, we got a great show coming up for you. <laughs> just, good night. <laughs> like, let's end the show. This episode's over. Before we get to this, can we just appreciate real quick the brilliance of Dave Chappelle's act outs. Oh, that, yeah. Brilliant. The amount that he can say with his eyes alone, just going across and standing still. That little nod. Mm -hmm. I see so many act outs go too far. It's like, keep it simple and then add to it. Like, don't. Yeah, less is yeah. more. But yeah, for sure. This great closing stanza to this whole thing you know i mean he's got a call to action and he really he reveals his purpose for everything that he said before that in a way where it was like it wasn't preachy um but he was preaching it was very measured and like he said you know be humble in your win because you know this once again there's uh the reason that anybody can sit through this and find it funny because it wasn't necessarily a finger wagon at anybody and it was uh it was trying to be just holding a mirror up to society and the i didn't catch it the first time i saw it when when he says uh you guys do that um but i i don't i just hate the way it feels when he said you guys i thought he was talking about um you know trumpers and 
Republicans and stuff. And I was like, oh, no, he means everybody. And that's what I was getting to in the beginning to where he kind of separates himself from the overall audience. And he he's commenting on everything else. He's like, I, I know I just hate that feeling, but I'm not going to project it out onto my fellow man. And your job is to have some reconciliation and not keep projecting it out onto each other because it's harmful. But mm-hmm. we all know how it feels because he goes back to that when he talks about, you know, knowing how a cop feels like like they've got a target on their back and how white people, you know, are dying from what they call diseases of despair, you know, addiction, and things like that. And saying, of course, you know, being from the black community, we can relate to that. And that's ironically enough. A lot of these people who empathy isn't their best <laughs> thing. He's like imploring us to have empathy with them because. I mean, psychologically, we all know that, you know, anger is hurt projected outwards. And that's what these uh, people are doing. They're hurting and they don't know how to project it. And the other thing, too, like we were saying with the cognitive dissonance, uh, you can't address anything that you won't even admit is there. So so there and, and that's where Trump comes in as the perfect, like, I don't know, perfect guy to be in that vacuum because. These are hard truths to come to come to. And then all these things happen at the same time. Black people are uh, slowly getting better, slowly ascending into places of power. And this is happening while white people are dying and stuff and going through all this shit and then having to hear how this country is so bad and how everything is so racist and how and, and it's like, well, if everything's so bad and racist, how come I don't have a job? But, you know, I especially Ohio guy in, in the in the cornfield, you know, if he can be a straw man. If, if only black people I see are successful, but every white person I know is struggling. And then when I do see black people doing stuff, I see them burning down their cities. It's very through a, a looking glass of, well, that's why Trump played to that and like, no, we're we're gonna we're gonna congratulate this country. We're going we're not gonna be ashamed of anything that happens. We're gonna love this country. And it's like a lot of the you know, there's a lot of Venn diagrams. There's a lot of things that are true at the same time. And we're trying to put things in these different corners, you know. So it's just kind of his his call to us to get through it and to man up and and know it's not fair that we literally have to teach Nazis to not be Nazis or Nazi sympathizers at least. But this, this is where you are, you know what I mean? Because deep, deep down, most people are still human beings. One out of every 10 of them voted for Obama. So, and they like Chappelle, so they are reachable. And then the last thing too, like I love, because that was his callback. He always does a callback that come get these nigga lessons, always does a callback, which I love. And you never see it coming. You never see it coming. And uh, but I think that is, um, you know, anyone who's grown up poor or working class or just has had to overcome any adversity is one of those things that you it lends itself to you in life and adulthood, especially when you start going through harder stuff. And, you know, which is, you know, these are the nigga lessons. I, I joke with my girl, you know, about growing up poor, how I know how to navigate in the store and stuff like that. So I think that's what he meant when it's like, come get these nigga lessons. It ain't like, you know, let's take you out back and like, you know, <laughs> beat you up or nothing like that. Yeah. But come, come learn how to live through adversity. Come learn to live while it feels like everyone is against you and you're hated and and everything is collapsing and 
and you don't have the best of odds. It's like it's like if you yeah, basically if you can't see your way through that, then then you're gonna have to learn to be a nigga. You know what I mean? And yeah, and and it and it works. Yeah. <laughs> I've felt it, you know. I've felt that. I hate the feeling. That's and and like you said, most people direct that feeling outward rather than coming to terms with it. Just like the whole Trump uh, making education more patriotic. It's like, no, we can grow by addressing our imperfections. Like, hey, we fucked up a lot. Let's learn from those. Let's take that pain and turn it into a learning experience. I did like the times where Dave Chappelle looked directly into the camera and addressed not only everybody in that room but anybody who's watching that we are all the problem and the end of, at the end of the day what he was right. saying goes beyond what was going on in that room and everything he had talked about uh, just to kind of cap all of this everything i loved about this special or i keep calling it a special but everything i loved about this monologue was it was so perfect for the time because it was a reminder of everything we still are today. We're still a racist country. We still riddled with coronavirus. Trump's still in office for the next two months. And, so, and those small town, small minded people are out there. Right. That yeah. will like cancel the show in a cornfield because it's keeping them up while it's making the world a better place. Or even not just small town. You got to remember, like, any small minded white people voted for Donald Trump. So Mm -hmm. somebody just said that, like, statistically, if you go in a room and there's white people there, most of the people in that room voted for Trump, statistically. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So that's the other thing. It's not so much even this easy, you know, backwards rural person. It's it's everybody. Uh, the kind that goes back to the kindness conspiracy. Just do something nice for a black person. Do something nice for someone, and to make sure that, I love, especially if they don't deserve it. I yeah. love that. Yeah, it's like, like, does it matter? Just be a kind person. Like, just go out of your way and do something good for another person. Stuff if everybody like, woke up with that mentality, this world yeah. would be a far different place. Just one good thing for somebody who didn't deserve it every day. Especially somebody who's not like you. Had to make a movie like that, and then you guys, me too. Them, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, let's let's wrap that up because uh, I think he one thirteen year old boy, and it comes back to bite you. Yeah, <laughs> people make mistakes. You know we're not this, right? Yeah. <laughs> They should have James Gunn on SNL. <laughs> yeah, he's or, better now, right? Or Dan Harmon. <laughs> yeah, Dan. No, who's the one from Nickelodeon? Uh, that big. Dude, oh right? no, not him. Dan yeah. Schneider. No. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. All right. Um, <laughs> before we get into pedophilia, uh, let's let's just close this out. Before we get into these children. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, he sums it up at the end. He he tells you the themes of his entire sketch. Or uh, his sketch, his monologue. Forgive one another, be kind to one another, do random acts of kindness, uh, find joy in just being alive. And the whole thing was centered around just having empathy for other people. He really communicated that like he understands where everybody who would be watching that is coming from. And he did it in a way and 
And then at the very end, he was explicit about it. Like, I know that feeling. And he reiterated that over and over again. And that's what I tend to do if I'm listening to a really good comic. And my question is, well, why are they telling this joke? Like, why are they doing this special? I listen to for what they repeat multiple times throughout it. And it's like, oh, that's the theme. Like, one that I do all the time is I lean into it. That's the theme for a lot of my jokes. So that's a good tool to use as a comic. And it's a good, uh, it's something good to listen for as an audience member. Um, so any final, that, those are my final thoughts on it. Um, and that he's focusing on the feeling. Hate the feeling, not the person who you think caused it. Because anytime we have a strong enough feeling, that's our perspective of the circumstances that we're in. It's based off of cognitive dissonances. And I think that's such a powerful message that instead of trying to take something away from somebody else when we feel something bad, um, it's do something that's the opposite, that creates the opposite of that feeling. Um, and that's a powerful message that I think we can all learn something from. And, and a lot of it does boil down to we get these strong charge like emotionally charged feelings and don't know what to do with them and instead of instead of realizing that everybody in the streets like has those feelings in these situations we take it out on each other and amplify it and it's rather you know it's and that's the point that Chappelle is making is that find joy in i mean even in those situations it's like we were talking about earlier if you can find gratitude in getting fired if you can find joy in this in this chaos and mayhem then maybe we can we can find a way to come together um because we're all experiencing this feeling that we hate so what can we do to do the opposite of that which in itself it's that cognitive dissonance it's and that's that's all comedy is is it's making that it's connecting those two unlike things and make and bringing conclusion to the cognitive dissonance rather than letting it faster. All right, guys. Uh, anything else you want to throw in, Steve? The towel? Yeah, yeah me too. <laughs> we covered a, a, we, too much. Um, but all, you know, all it takes is if there's any sort of controversy, if there's any sort of, if it's news, if it's overdone, if it's, it, just have Dave Chappelle find a way to laugh at that. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Because <laughs> you can't laugh at that. Because <laughs> you can't laugh at that. All right. You can't laugh at that. Special thanks to Gold Knox Studio. You can find Golden Ox Studio for all your podcasting needs at goldenoxstudio.com. Uh, hit up Jeremy. He is fantastic to work with, professional. Uh, he makes podcasting easy. And uh, if, you're, if you've been kicking the tires on starting your own podcast, definitely give Golden Ox Studio a look. If you'd like to weigh in on today's topic, follow us on Twitter at You Can't Laugh Pod. Or like us on Facebook if you can't laugh at that and tell us how you did laugh at today's topic or how you didn't. This is all about the conversation, is what I'm saying. All right. Bye.